0: These are shadow things that come, but Christ is the fullness. So we pick it up in verse 1. You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, its height shall be three cubits. Just a reminder a cubit is generally considered 18 inches, so just do your mouth as we look through this. All right, so five cubits long and then three cubits high. On the altar, verse two: You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. Also, you shall make its pans to receive its ashes, and its shovels, and its basins, and its forks, and its fire pan. You shall make all of its utensils of bronze. Now we've seen a lot of gold and silver so far, but now at the altar we're seeing the color of bronze. You shall make a grade for it, a network of bronze, and on the network you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath, and the network may be midway up the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the, in the rings, and the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar to bury it, to, to you know, to bear it, like to carry it, carry it. So much like the, the Ark of the Covenant, They carry it with poles on their shoulders, just like they did the Ark of the Covenant. That's how they carry the altar. Verse 8 You shall make it hollow with boards, as it was shown you on the mountain, so you shall make it. Now, we've seen this phrase last week, and we see it again here. As it was shown you on the mountain, so they shall make it. And this is an application we're going to see over and over as we go through the books of Moses, right through Deuteronomy, that God gave Moses the instruction on these things. And as he gave them the instructions, they're models of things in heaven. And so it's very important that it's done exactly on earth the way it was in heaven, because God's the one who's setting this up, and it needs to be done properly. And we talked about details last week. We're going to get a lot more of them tonight going through the text. But I like this phrase where it says, as it was shown you on the mountain, so they shall make it. And... We see that it's not just one person, right? Like the body of Christ is never one person. We're told in Romans chapter 12, God gives each one a gift for the building up of the body of Christ together. We're told in Ephesians 4, he's given us apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists for the building up of the body, for the work of the ministry that everyone does. And everyone has a place and a part. In 1 Corinthians 12, we're told the same thing. And everyone is in it together. And we even talked last week how some people are maybe more creative and they're not really in the details of 50 silver brackets and 10-foot pieces of wood. But some people, that's their strength, and they love to do that. And creating things is not their strength, being given a model of what should be done or how to do it. That is their strength. And God has it all, has the right people in the right place. So even here, we see, as I showed you, they will make it. So Moses' job was to receive the information, but then his job was to delegate it to the people who God would equip to do it. And this is really important because not one person can do it. And if we've learned anything in COVID-19, hopefully in the body, of, certainly in the body of Christ, but in our families and in our businesses, we all have a role and we all work together. Um, a church model where it's top heavy, where there's just a few people running around doing everything, wearing multiple hats, that's not the biblical model. It never has been. And it, it, it's not healthy. And as we come out of COVID-19 for this church family, which I believe are very healthy with this, but just the body of Christ as a whole, is the more that we decentralize and equip people, decentralize the leadership to be top-heavy on certain people and personalities driving a ministry or driving a church, the better. We need to be driven by Jesus Christ, the permanent one who's over the church. We need spirit-filled men and women leading churches, and we need to decentralize top-heavy leadership and equip people and raise up people and empower people in the body of Christ to run with their gifts. So as God might show the leadership of this church, the Board of Elders, for when we're going to open, how we're going to open, and then he's going to show the pastors, how we're going to serve the people, the deacons. We're going to equip the body of Christ to function with all of our gifts. So we might receive the model from the Lord, but we delegate it to the body of Christ because we're all in it together. So they make it. So as we shift in the summer toward supper together groups and home groups and new things that we're doing, Thursday night Zoom prayer that's been going for two months, and we look at the Sunday morning devotions the pastors have done, it's not, it's not one person. It's collectively the pastors working together. It's their wives. It's the deacons, the deacons' wives. It's the ministry team. It's the overall congregation. We've come through this, and we're coming on the opposite side, the other side of COVID-19, into a completely different landscape for our society, for our planet, for the church universally around the planet, and for us, this church in this region. And this really jumps out at me that God might show the leadership this is what you need to do and how you need to do it, which is, of course, our responsibility to have the mind of the Lord. But we're really looking to impart it to people that people can run with their gifts. As we look at the model for worship generation going forward in the summer of 2020, it's less of me and it's more of the body of Christ just flourishing with their gifts and strengths. And that's why I haven't done the Sunday morning devotions on the website, because I want to hear what God is showing Sam and Garrett and Anthony and Broderick and Alex. I want the church to hear the voice of the other shepherds so when those shepherds speak, they hear their voice and they respond to those voices. It's very important. I want the church to know who all the deacons are so when the deacons speak and their wives speak that they see the women of 1 Timothy 3 in the deacon description. They see the women of pastors' wives in 1 Timothy 3. As it was shown you on the mountain, there's a right way to do the body of Christ in 2020. And it's up for the leaders of churches to seek that and to follow whatever it is he's showing us according to his word, led by his spirit in application, and then they shall do it. It's they. So as much as I appreciate you looking to me for leadership, I'll do my best to seek the Lord, but I'm looking to equip all of you to run with your gifts, whether you're part of this church or wherever you're at. The, the, The spectating church and go to church and be a churchgoer, not a disciple, forget that model. It's gone. Our planet's being shaken like I've never seen in my entire lifetime. There's there's one type of church where we're functioning members like a book of Acts, and we have all things in common, and we're going forward with faith until the trumpet sounds and Jesus' return. That's where we're at in the summer of 2020. That's the mind of the Lord. We pick it up in verse 9. You shall also make the court of the tabernacle for the south side. There shall be hangings for the court made of fine woven linen, 100 cubits for one side. And it's 20 pillars and their 20 sockets shall be bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be silver distinctions. Likewise, also the length of the north side shall be hanging on the 100 cubits long with its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets of bronze and the hooks of pillars and their bands of silver. And along the width of the court on the west side shall be the hanging of 50 cubits with their 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. The width of the court on the east side shall be 50 cubits. The hanging on one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. And on the other side shall be hanging of 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. For the gate of the court, there shall be a screen 20 cubits long, woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine woven linen made by a weaver, It shall have four pillars and four sockets. All the pillars around the court shall have bands of silver, their hooks shall be of silver, and their sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits, the width 50 throughout, and the height 5 cubits made of five woven linens and its sockets of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle for all of its service, all its pegs, all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze." And again, if you're a detailed person, maybe you follow all this, or you've just seen pictures of this online, what the court looked like, the outer court of the tabernacle. As I had mentioned last week, teaching this in Virginia Beach in the early 90s, I had to find like a Bible encyclopedia. Here's pictures of Aaron's robe. Here's the tabernacle, the outer court. Go to, you know, Kinko's, make the Xerox copies of it, like 50 copies, and pass out your midweek Bible service. So everyone's looking at it. Now, like I said, you can just Google it on your phone right now, and you'll get 20 different images of what the outer court looks like. This is the outer court, and this is where they would do the animal sacrifices outside the court, where the where the tabernacle was, where they'd go in with the holy place and the most holy place. And so, I can picture this just because I've seen enough pictures of it and renditionings of it, and hopefully you can too. It's a lot of details. Basically, if the cubit is 18 inches, then the length of the tabernacle Courtyard here is 50 yards. It's a football, half a football field. So that gives you an idea of the length that the tabernacle was contained in within this outer court. It's easy to picture because we can all picture a high school football stadium and just half us, half the field, and then there it is. Bring it in a little bit because it's not as wide as a football field, but the length, and I'll give you an idea what this looks like. Details: silver and bronze, but no gold here. The gold's for the holy of holies, and the holy place, but not the the, the altars, bronze and silver. Verse 20. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olive for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony. It shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. So last week we looked at this. So again, just to review the tabernacle is rectangular, and the back third essentially is the holy of holies with the veil, the curtain, and the high priest would only go in there once a year: first Aaron and then his descendants on the day of Yom Kippur during the feast of, ta- of uh, Tabernacle, for his sins, offer make an offering for the people's sins, once a year, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. And the other two thirds within this tent of the tabernacle, and then of course when Solomon built the temple, it was the same model in the temple is the holy place. So you have the most holy, which is where God's present is. presence is, with the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat over the Ten Commandments, the jar of mammon, and Aaron's rod that budded. That is the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies. Once a year, the high priest goes in there. Then there's the veil, which Hebrews tells us speaks of the flesh of Jesus Christ. And then that's why the veil was torn when he died on the cross. From top to bottom, God giving his son to make a way to come into his presence. But part of that in this Imagery, God is teaching us that he's holy and we're sinful and we can't approach him without a mediator. That's what we're being taught here. Now, the priest, not just the high priest Aaron, but the priesthood, the Levite priest, they could go in the holy place, so the other side of the curtain inside, and that's where the in- the lamp of incense was, the lamp here of the lampstand, the light, and then the showbread. Those are the three things, the table of showbread, that were in the holy place that were before the veil, but not behind the veil where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so that's what we're talking about here, this lampstand. And we're told that you shall bring pure oil-pressed olive, olives for the light. So it's details related to worship of God under the Mosaic Covenant and how he was to be worshipped and approached. And of course, we said this last week, Jesus is the light of the world. And this definitely has symbolism that points toward Jesus being the light. And we're the light of the world and we definitely need to shine right now because a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, so let your light shine before men. And God is the Father of lights in whom there's no shadow of turning. So whatever's going on around us, we need to be true to the character of Christ in how we see things, how we filter things, how we believe or reject things how we speak of things and how we walk with our actions and attitudes. Very important. But it says in verse 21 that Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. That's a full day's work, right? Evening, morning till evening. I mean, evening until morning. It's like, it's a, this, is a, this is a full-time job. And we're told It's a statute forever to their generations. So for 1,500 years, that's a long time. That's 15 centuries. That's a really long time. These descendants of Abraham from the tribe of Levite, one of the 12 tribes, were responsible to fulfill this task on a daily basis. That's incredible. You talk about Responsibility and accountability to me that just this really gets my attention about faithfulness, accountability, and responsibility. So let me just say this in application. They had a responsibility, they had a duty that they are responsible to do, and they were alive and set apart for that purpose. They had a responsibility very clearly defined. It was a a duty as unto the Lord. Now we're going to see how important the Levites are are when we get to the book of Leviticus, how as a tribe, they're just set apart. And you couldn't say, I don't like being a Levite. I I wish I would have been born in the tribe of Judah. Well, you weren't. You're born in the tribe of Levi, and you're in the Levitical priesthood. And that's by God's design. God predetermined our families, our generations, our boundaries, our gender, our ethnicity. God's determined that, and we should rejoice in that and fulfill his purposes in that. And these Levites, set apart by the Lord, this was their responsibility. Unlike, say, if your father is a fireman and he wants you to be a fireman, but you don't want to be a fireman, that may or may not be what you're called to do, right? That's why I've enforced my kids to be pastors. Now, Ben Corson is going to be a great pastor in Applegate, fallen in the heels of his father and his brother who's now with the Lord, Peter John. Ben Corson's the new pastor at Applegate and John Corson was an amazing pastor for 40 years. That's a calling. But, just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you can tell your kids they're going to be a pastor. Like the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That's got to that's come from the Lord. And just because you're a fire chief doesn't mean your kids are called to be firemen. Or just because you're a pro-surfer doesn't mean they're called to be pro-surfers. Or you're a pro-football player, they're called to be a pro-football player. Or because you're an, uh, a corporate executive, they're called to be a pro corporate executive. The children are heritage from the Lord, and they're called to be who they're called to be. And that's why I have to teach them to press into the Lord to hear his voice and obey the calling he has on their life. And that of course why it's grievous when you don't see walking with the Lord because you know they're missing the calling but that's why it's important that through faith we trust in Romans 8:28 that our prayers are being answered and he's moving them toward what he has for them whether we see the evidence of that or not. But what's interesting about the Levitical priesthood is that is your calling. You you are a priest and you're married to a priest. You know, like that's that's your levite. You're <laughs> the tribe of levite. Like that's who you are. So it is your calling. So you think about all the people groups and kingdoms that have come and gone, you know, the China dynasties, the, all the Asiatic dynasties and African dynasties and Latin America dynasties and Euro and all this stuff. Listen, there's one nation that was in a covenant with God by blood, Israel. And of that nation, there's one distinction of one-twelfth of that nation that was set aside by the living God himself to serve him day and night for their entire life. And the rest of the nation was responsible to provide for them to do that service on behalf of them. That's responsibility. That's being under authority and in authority to fulfill your purposes that are God in authority. In a way, this really is a more detailed government of God upon this people the Levites, to do these things. But what we understand with the heart of the Lord is, whatever he's really called us to do is not so much an obligation, but more an opportunity. Because his will is perfect, and God is light, and him is no darkness at all. So whatever he's created us to do, whatever responsibilities he's given us on planet Earth on June 2nd, 2020, that's what we want to do. Like that's where we're going to find fulfillment and joy is what the Lord is showing us to do. I mentioned this last week. I just am absolutely clearly focused that my purpose in life is to teach his word verse by verse correctly right now going through the Pentateuch. That's what I'm called to do. That's why I'm alive. What I'm doing right now, I'm alive for this reason. I'm sure of it. And what it means when I'm gone, I don't know, might mean could be like vernon mcgee 30 years later on the radio could be nothing could just be us in this sanctuary and people listening to me in heaven praising jesus because you believe the word of god that i taught properly contextually on june 2nd 2020 i don't know but that's i know i'm called to do and to have the mind of the lord to lead this church spiritually and legally through a time unlike we've ever seen in human history and american history i'll try to do the best i can in fact, I thought of today. I woke up today. What's my purpose in life today? It's Acts chapter 6. We must give ourselves to prayer and the word of God. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray all day. I'm going to read my Bible today. I'm going to try not to be oppressed by all the darkness hanging over our planet and hanging over my head and hanging over my house. I'm going to do what I'm called to do. So I'm here doing it. We have a stewardship. We have a responsibility. Theirs was to keep that lamp lit for 1,500 years. Oh, Father, why do we light the lamp? Because your grandfather lit the map, and your great-grandfather, and your father, I light the lamp. That's why. But why? Because God called us to, and it's the greatest privilege and honor you have. You don't have to be a fireman because your dad's a fireman, but if you're a Levite, you're a priest, and you have a responsibility as unto the Lord. So whatever our priesthood responsibility is in 2020, June, June 2nd, if we don't get after it now, when are we ever going to get after it? Like, seriously, if we don't get after it now, when are we ever going to get after it? We have to to be on our A game right now. I mean, we should be on our A game all the time. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. This is the day of the Lord in the valley of decision. And the whole planet is being weighed in the scales right now. Make sure you're on the faith and the kingdom side of the scales. And be faithful in your priesthood, whatever it is. Chapter 28. Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as a priest Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as a priest." And these are the garments where they shall make. Breastplate, ephod, a robe, skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, his brother, and his sons, that they may minister to me as priest. And again, just draw your attention to this phrase, to consecrate him that he may minister to me. He has consecrated Aaron as a high priest and his family line descendants will be high priest, and they're of the Levites. Remember, the tribe of Levite has three Merari, Gershon, and Kohathites. So Israel's got 12 tribes, and the tribe of Levi has three subdivisions, Merari, Kohath, and Gershonites, and they're the three, and of those three Aaron is the Kohites and the high priest come through him because the Levites had different responsibilities some had the carts to carry the stuff when they broke down the tabernacle some carried the stuff on their on their shoulders and whatnot it was, it was spread out but know this they're all consecrated to the Lord and we're called to be consecrated to the Lord verse 5 they shall take the gold blue purple and scarlet thread and the fine linen and they shall make the ephod of gold blue purple and scarlet thread and fine woven linen, artistically worked. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at two edges, so it shall be joined together, and the intricately woven band of the ephod which is on it shall be of the same workmanship, made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone and six names on the other stone, in order of their birth, with the work of an engraver in stone like the engravings of a signet. You shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in the settings of gold. And you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his shoulders as a memorial. You shall make settings of gold. You shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings." So it's like a breastplate that Aaron's going to wear, and the the 12 tribes, 6 and 6, are on his shoulders, and he's bearing them. He's bearing them up. He's carrying them. He has this responsibility to bear them, but bear in mind that the high priest speaks foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Now, we, we talked about this last week, and it'll come up time and time again, but the Levites are the high priesthood of the Levitical order, But Jesus is the high priest according to the Melchizedek order, going back to Genesis, which Hebrews elaborates on. And Aaron, as the high priest, was to bear bear the people. He was to bear their names, to carry them. He represented them when he went into the Holy of Holies to confess their sins before the Lord on Yom Kippur. He bared the people. He carried them. He interceded for them. Essentially, he carried them like when you carry someone, he carried them. Literally on his shoulders, representing. He represented all 12 tribes, millions of people, when he walked into the holies of holies before the Lord. Thus, in his best moments, it's glorious, but in his worst moments, making the golden calf, it's horrible. Because he's supposed to lead them, he's burying them. And instead of leading them into the holy of holies, he's making a golden calf idol for them. We'll see later on in this book. It's a huge responsibility. But that priesthood could never save us. It could never redeem us because we can't be redeemed by the blood of bulls and goats. But we know Jesus is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek who has no beginning or ending. And so Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah, not the Levites. And he, as our great high priest, has entered once for all to the holies of holies in heaven, if you will. And he's made the way for us. And we're told that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace in time of need. And we're told that he ever lives and intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father as our great high priest. The book of Hebrews tells us this. So Jesus bears us on his shoulders. So whatever we're carrying, we don't need to carry it because he's bearing it. We need to give it to him. Our fears, our concerns, our anxieties, he's our high priest. That's why he said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. He wants us to cast our burdens upon him. He wants us to give those things to him. Literally, you can almost picture Jesus, our great high priest, that we can just take everything that has us weighed down and concerned and just overwhelmed right now, oppression, anxiety, and all, fear, and all this stuff, and we can just, you know, fear of the unknown, fear of what you know, do you know. I don't know what's scarier, what we do know, what we don't know. They're both pretty scary right now. And we've got to put unknown on his shoulder and we've got to put known on his shoulder and just put everything scary and dark and oppressive on his shoulders right now because he ever lives and intercedes for us and he's our high priest. And what Aaron carried was the the nation of Israel in the priesthood. What Jesus carries is us from here to eternity because he's the author and finisher of our faith and he can carry it. And where Aaron and all the high priests fall short, even to the point where Caiaphas and Ananias crucified Jesus Christ, the high priest, two of them, it's so what happens when men govern. They crucify Jesus. Jesus is our high priest, and he can carry it. There's no reason that we wake up with fear and anxiety or go to bed with fear and anxiety because we're meant to cast our burdens upon the Lord. He bears us. And we already saw what he said Israel, like an eagle, he bears us on eagle's wings, and we're his special treasure. We're never meant to bury, to bear. B-E-A-R, to, to bear, to carry the burdens that Jesus wants to carry. So we have to give those things to the Lord. And again, if not on June 2nd, 2020, I don't know when you would. Most of us are bearing a lot of heavy burdens. And my sister is going to go back. My sister didn't work for four months. She was furloughed. And all that she went through, taking care of my mom's dog before I had to put my mom's dog down. Getting the house ready to go on the market my mom's house only owned it for 40 years, all the memories, 40 Christmases in that house, and then she gets a call to go back to work, not sure she can be able to work, she gets a call to go back to work, she's so excited, she's praising the Lord on Saturday, and then on Sunday she's being told, don't show up for work because there's riots in San Diego, that's a lot for someone trying to rebuild their life from living on the streets, but praise the Lord, my sister watches Greg Laurie and Charles Stanley and has a good she watches Pat Robertson. She watches everything. Like The more the merrier to, 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 to be filling her mind. And finally, she's listening to me not to watch any news on TV. Although she had to watch San Diego because you want to know if you're going into a riot, of course. So, yeah, you can watch that. But she was able to go to work, and they were open, the shoe department at Macy's on Monday, June 1st. Stores are boarded up all over the mall down there at Mission Valley, San Diego, off the Interstate 8, and people are scared, and uh, Penn, Penn Express was opened. Macy's and Penn Express were opened. That's a lot to think about when you're trying to rebuild your life from other things that happened. So she's just one example of, of, of humanity right now and where we're at. So we need to follow my sister's example and give those things to the Lord. She wrote me a long text today. She, all of a sudden, she had a, she knows Tuesday's a teaching day. Don't bother Big Brother Joe. But she, and I said, don't call me, <laughs> but you can text me. And she sent me a super lengthy text in the middle of the day, like, I'm really anxious right now because I got to be at my mom's house in 21 days. And suddenly I'm looking at the different places I can go and I'm just having anxiety. All right. Three symbols. That's all I gave her. Look up, pray. He's got it. He's bearing our burdens. Verse 15. You shall make breastplates of judgment, artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine woven linen. You shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. <laughs> I'm telling you when I read this stuff, it's like I'm trying to learn a foreign language. It's like, where'd it go? Like, maybe you're following us. I, I'm just being honest. I read this, I would go like, like if Pastor Chuck were alive, he'd tell me exactly what it looks like. But for me, it's like my reading retention, I'm like doubled as a square. But you know what? It's God's word. So hopefully it's speaking to your heart because it's living and powerful. So double as a square into a square. All right, like that. Verse 16. But you didn't know that. Exodus 28, 16 says it shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length and a span shall be its width. And you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. This is crucial. And again, the skilled people would do this. The first row shall be a sardis, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row a jacinth, an agate, an amethyst, and the fourth row a barrel onyx and jasper. So notice it's not it's it's four rows of three, not three rows of four. Right? I mean, God does care about the details. It's four rows of three. That's how he, He's got it. They shall be set in gold. Settings in the stone shall have a name of the sons of Israel, 12 according to their names, like the engraving of a signet, each one with its own names. They shall be according to the 12 tribes, 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 22. You shall make change for the breastplate at the end like braided cords of pure gold for the breastplates, and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. Then you shall put the two braided chains of gold into the two rings which are on the end of the breastplate, and the other two ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. You shall make two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate, on the edge of it and on the inner side of the ephod. And two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod. using a blue cord so that above the intricately woven band of the ephod and so the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. So this is garment stuff. If you work in the garment industry, it's, it's just it's like sewing and cutting. I think of Susan Timmerman, who has a college degree in making clothes and garment stuff. So this is stuff that she'd be really dialed into. Or even Susan Branch, she basically ran Billabong and Roxy for years, this, that kind of stuff. Like uh, Me, I just walk into Zara, see the shirt I like, and I buy it, and it feels comfortable. I go for the texture, right? We're benefiting from what someone else does, and someone else is going to do this, but then Aaron and his offspring would wear these things. Verse 29, So Aaron shall bear the name of the children, the sons of Israel, on the breastplate of judgment, over his heart, when he goes into the holy place, as a memorial before the Lord, continually. And you shall put the breastplate of judgment, the urim and the thunum, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel, over his heart, before the Lord, continually. Now, this is somewhat similar to Aaron bearing the names and carrying them on his shoulders. Here it says he's going to bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart. And it says that this is a memorial before the Lord continually. And then it says that the Urim and the Thurim, which is the judgment, that they're evidently like lots or dice, if you will, to determine the, the mind of the Lord on things. They will should be over his heart, over his heart continually. It says it three times. I think it's really important that when we think about people that we have a heart for people because you think about the terminology and the wording here, the heart should be tender. We're told to guard our hearts and God wants to have a tender heart and he wants us to look at people with a tender heart, not a hard heart. We understand that we're not to harden our heart toward the Lord and we're not to harden our heart toward the pe- toward people. And we want to have a, a, a sensitive heart toward all people. We want to have a sensitive heart to the people closest to us. We want have a sensitive heart to our enemies. We want to have a sensitive heart to all humanity as best as we can. It's hard. It's a hard thing to do. It's a supernatural thing that the Lord has to do to give us a heart where we really have people in our heart. To get past ourselves where we're thinking of other people. But as the high priest, that's what Aaron was to do. He was to have the people over his heart. He was to be aware and conscious that he was serving other people and representing other people as he served the Lord. In other words, his ministry is about people. It was vertical with the Lord, but it was horizontal on behalf of the people of the Lord. And that's how we need to be. We need to have hearts where we think of other people, we care about other people, and our hearts are tender toward people. Verse 31. And ye shall make the robe of Ephod all of blue. There shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. It shall have a woven binding all around its opening, like the opening in a coat mail, so it does not tear. And upon its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem, and bells of gold between them all around. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem of the robe all around. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, that he may not die. So remember, we're talking about Yom Kippur when he goes in. So once a year, he goes in, and he's got this beautiful robe, and the bells are jingling, and the pomegranates are there, and God says, hey, we need to hear those bells jingling, that he may not die. Verse 36, and you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord, and you shall put it, On a blue cord that it may be on the turban, and it shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron shall may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts, and it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread and make the turban of fine linen, and you shall make the sash of woven work. For Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics, and you shall make sashes for them. You shall make hats for them for glory and beauty. So you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, on his sons for him with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they shall minister to me as priests. And you shall make them for linen trousers, and you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness, They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. They shall be on Aaron and his sons when they come into the tabernacle meeting or when they come near to the altar to minister in the holy place that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. The details now really of the priesthood and how these guys would function in the house of Aaron, the Levites, in the priesthood. So details for the high priesthood specifically and for the Levites as a whole Holiness to the Lord. It is quite a contrast when you think about it because of course we're told in the book of Revelation about the mark of the beast at the end of the age that people will have the mark on their forehead or they'll have the mark on their hand. And there's all kinds of speculation what that mark is. But one thing we know for sure it is, is an identity. It's an identity. And of course, the number 666 it's the mark of man. So if we just kind of use common sense and logic... When you think about the end game and the global government and the globalists and the one-world government that everyone bows down to with one rule that rules over it with all the power of Satan, that there's a cashless society, so it's all electronic currency, it's total control, all the power of the devil in one person guiding it, and that's where this planet's headed. At some point, that's the end game. We're not guessing, it's what the Bible clearly says. It's what Jesus said. It's what Daniel and others said in the Old Testament. Then it's what Jesus said in the New Testament. It's what the Holy Spirit led Paul the Apostle to say. And there certainly are details in great detail that the Apostle John was, said, was told to say in Patmos when he wrote the, the Apocrypha, the, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so the end game in the last generation is all humanity will bear the mark of man, not God. They'll bear the number of men to be governed by a man led completely by the devil. So it's a man-based government completely devoid of God and completely driven and empowered by Satan who's at war with God. And the identity of the mark of the beast is to identify with that global government devoid of God ruling that government. And we're told in Second Thessalonians that the world will embrace this leader and believe this lie in atheistic, humanistic, secularistic, Marxist, communist worldview. And in so doing, they reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they take the mark of Satan, empowered mark, but represents man. It's like the Tower of Babel because, of course, it's Mystery Babylon in the book of Revelation and the Tower of Babel is where it all began where God said, scatter. and said, no, we're going to build this thing and let us do this and let us do that and we're going to worship ourselves and we don't need God governing us. We'll build our own Zagart and we'll govern ourselves. And this current has run throughout the 6,000 years of human history and in its end game, Mystery Babylon comes to power and it's the same spirit of a global government devoid of any faith in God. There's no room for faith in God. Look at communist China right now. There's no room for Islamic faith, Christian faith, even Eastern mystic faiths. Completely intolerable. Communist, Marxist, secular humanist worldview, this globalism that we're seeing emerging and this tyranny, that's coming. It is totally atheistic and devoid of God. And we have a planet and a generation raised at war with God more than any other previous generation. And they're going to take the mark of man because they believe in men and they've been trained to believe in men that men or women that rule without accountability to God. Now the contrast is the Father of Jesus Christ. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit and we're governed by God. Our citizenship's in heaven. We're ambassadors for Christ. And here, Aaron is a type of how we're really governed. Holiness to the Lord. We are set apart. We are the church. So, we don't need some microchip in our forehead or in our hand to say that we can do this or do that because the Holy Spirit has sealed us as the purchase price of redemption. We're the, we're the crown jewel of heaven. Jesus loves us. He loves his church. And we're sealed with the Spirit. And the Spirit, the mind of Christ, those who walk according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because we are not carnally minded. We walk according to the Spirit. And to be spiritually minded is life in Christ Jesus. And the whole creation's groaning right now for the kingdom to come. And those who are still with the spirit and have holiness to the Lord upon their foreheads, we're crying out for the kingdom to come. And the kingdom's coming. Jesus said to be watching and to be ready. Always watching, always ready. We're not looking for the Antichrist or a globalist government devoid of God with no currency, which we see all happening around us right now moving toward that we're looking for jesus christ coming for his bride that's what we're looking for our forehead says holiness to the lord and going back to second thessalonians we're told in second thessalonians that because people don't want to be governed by god and they don't want to have holiness to the lord on their forehead but there says rebel against the lord let man rule over us god's going to give them over and we're told in Second Thessalonians he gives them over to deceiving spirit. So when the church is gone and Christ has come for His church, and there's that th- that seven year tribulation period, or we have great tribulation, but the great tribulation period is coming. I don't know how it all harmonizes, and I don't have to know how it all harmonizes. But you can just know this: when you get to things that are a little hard to understand in the Bible, you interpret them by things that are very clear to understand. And it is very clear to understand that God gives them over to a spirit of delusion. And it's not possible for them to repent like Esau. So we have to decide in June 2020, do we want holiness to the Lord on our forehead governing us or do we want godless men who reject Christ's reign and God's rule in his universe ruling over them to rule over you? Because the best governed citizen on the planet is one governed by the word of God, the spirit of God, and King Jesus. And first Peter makes it very clear we're the best citizens any country ever has. Holiness to the Lord is what's on our forehead. And it's not a microchip or stamp there, so we can buy stuff. It's there because we've already been bought by the blood of the Lamb. Chapter twenty-nine. And this is what you shall do to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull, two rams. Without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers, anointed with oil, you shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunics on Aaron, the robe, the ephod, the ephod, the breastplate, gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head, put the holy crown on his turban, and you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head. And anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put the tunics on them. You shall gird them with the sashes. Aaron and his sons put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs. For a perpetual statute you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. Verse 10. You shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle meeting. Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your fingers. Pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. You shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull with its skin and its offal, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. You shall also take one ram and Aaron and his sons and shall put their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram. and You shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around on the altar. And then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails, its legs, put them with its piece, with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall also take the other ram, Aaron and his sons, shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram, take some of the blood, and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of the right foot and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar You should take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, on his garment's sons with him. He and his garments will be hallowed, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Man, they're sprinkled in the blood of the sacrifice. They're sprinkled in the anointing oil, and we are sprinkled with the blood of Christ because we're under the blood, and we are sprinkled with the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit. We're under the blood, and we're to be anointed and under the Spirit, we're saved by the blood and governed by the Spirit. This is us. Second, 1 Peter chapter 2 says, we're a holy priesthood offering up spiritual sacrifices. There is anyone, anyone that needs the name of Christ, my sister to me and anybody in between from the youngest to the oldest, this, this is us. This is a shadow, but in the fullness, we're under the blood and we're anointed with the Holy Spirit. Verse 22. And you shall take the fat of the ram that is the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys, and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is the ram of consecration. One loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that's before the Lord, and you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and you shall weigh them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord it is an offering made by fire to the Lord. Then you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration, wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And from the ram of the consecration, you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering, which is wave, and the thigh of the heave offering, which is raised of that which is for Aaron, and that which is for his sons. And it shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statute forever. For it is a heave offering. It shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their Peace offerings, that is their heave offering to the Lord. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him, to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. That the son who becomes priest in the p- his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle meeting to minister in the holy place. So here's succession. God's always got succession. God always has succession. And you shall, verse 31, You shall take the ram of the consecration and blow its flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle meeting. They shall eat those things which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offering or of the bread remains till morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it's holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons, according to all that I've commanded you, seven days you shall consecrate them and you shall eat And you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering, sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar, which you've made the atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Verse 38. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. This, of course, speaks of Christ, who been offered once for all we're told in Hebrews. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hand of pressed oil, one-fourth of a hand of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering. And the drink offering as in the morning for the sweet aroma, and offering made by fire of the Lord. This shall be a continual burning This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generation at the door of the tabernacle meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel at the tabernacle. Shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priest. I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Well, this closing thought is this. All these offerings, and aren't there a lot of them? Wait till you get to Leviticus. They're fascinating, all these offerings. But just know this, every offering points to Jesus one way or another. Grain offering, wine offering, heave offering, burnt offering, trespass offering, sin offering. They all are pointing to Jesus. He was offered up once for all for us. But in all these sacrifices, they were reminded that they needed something to be offered on their behalf for their failures and their shortcomings and their sin. But for us in the New Testament, we have the fullness. This is the shadow of the fullness. And we need to only look to Jesus, who is the ultimate offering for all of our sins. But we're told in Romans chapter 12 that we present ourselves as an offering to the Lord. That's really our offering. He's gave himself for us and we give ourselves back for him. All these offerings speak of the sacrifices that Jesus made for us to redeem us from our sin. And we're told that the redemption of our soul is very costly. And it's so that they'll know that they're in a relationship with him. These offerings will remind them that they're in a relationship with God, not the president, the governor, the mayor, the city council, or the county supervisors. They are in a relationship with God. He's the ultimate authority. All of the authority. So even when they're threatened by the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Hivites, or the Egyptians, they're under the authority of God. And ultimately, we should be governed by God. Like I just mentioned, the best citizens on the planet should be the ones who are governed by the Holy Spirit and under the blood. Governed by God. He wants us to understand that he's over us and he's for us. And through all these different offerings and all the intricate little details of our life, and all things that he wants to teach us in the experience of being the church of Jesus Christ in 2020 is that we'll understand that he meets with us, we're sanctified, and it's for his glory, and he's for us. That's what we need to understand. That all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We're headed for glory, and he's teaching us about glory. No matter how dark and evil the day is that we live in, we are headed for glory, and he's teaching us about glory. And we cannot lose sight of that. Amen?